WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week's guests are the creative team behind the new Vault comic series Mindset, Zach Kaplan and John J. Pearson. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Sure. So, uh, Matt, we are coming off a, uh, we are recording this on May 9th. We're coming off a fairly uh, dense uh, weekend of comics and comics adjacent things, aren't we? Uh, yeah, to say the least. How was uh, your free comic book day? Mine was great. I, uh, I was uh, at Collector's Paradise here in uh, um, Los Angeles, and it was, uh, it was nice. I feel like uh, things are getting back to normal more than, than last year. And so, yeah, it was good. It was nice to see lots of people getting free comics. Yeah, I, I, was, I was working. <laughs> I was drawing comics, unfortunately. But my, my local comic shop, OK Comics, they, um, they always have like queues around the block um, and they always kind of start a sale as well on the same day. So um, it, it always goes well for them. And I know this year is, is a big one. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad it went well. Yeah, it was it was nice to actually be at my shop on Free Comic Day. I, I uh, swung by uh, Level Up Entertainment in May's Landing, and they actually got to like put on a thing with a crowd and and you know engage engage in that type of commerce. So you know we love to see it. <laughs> I went to my local shop, uh, Stormwatch Comics, down in South Jersey. I'd hoped to get up to Dewey's Comic City up at the Cooper School, but it was a nightmarishly rainy and awful day, and there were road floodings. And I was like. I really am not going to try to drive two hours in that. Yeah, no, the but, Northeast but... <laughs> was just gross this weekend. Yeah, but but Stormwatch put on a good show and they had a good turnout. So we, uh, everybody was happy to see that. Uh, we also, over the weekend, uh, lost one of the greats. Anybody have any memories of George Perez? Because, you know, you got to raise a glass to one of the, the great artists of the, this generation. I, I, um, I got the chance. I never actually met George. Um, I, you know, obviously read his work, um, but he was exhibiting. Um, I saw him exhibiting many times. And, and one thing that really, I remember, um, I'm, my hometown is Jacksonville, Florida. And, um, uh, I saw him exhibiting there like a very small, uh, very small convention. Um, a local comic book shop was putting on, you know, very, a very uh, small uh, local city convention. And uh, there was George Perez and, and, you know, he was just a huge draw and just um, there from beginning to end. And just, uh, just the friendliest guy, just what a kind guy. And I think I saw that again and again at every convention. So, I mean, obviously um, his work is inspired so many people to get, to get into comics and, 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 you know, he's made his amazing mark as a creator, but I think it's also a kind of a testament to uh, how, uh, just how, how charitable and how, how, um, you know, kind he was. Now people definitely had that impression of it's funny. Uh, 2019 uh, there were, he did a couple of these retirement dinners at uh, conventions and I went to one up in North Jersey and it was me and my friend, Rob, and so the create uh, it was him and it was, it was Perez and like Jim Starlin, uh, Ron Lim, uh, Joe Rubenstein, you know, a, a few of people of that that generation. And they were going around like signing things for for fans who had attended. But Perez comes to our table and like he's immediately 
hugging, you know, all these people that he doesn't know yeah. from Adam, you know, and he comes and gives me a hug. I'm like, oh, this is this is what we're doing. Okay, cool. I mean, he was just, you know, warm and friendly with everybody. And, you know, it's funny, they, they played it up like there was like a roast portion of it. But I, you know, it, it couldn't have been a gentler uh, roast because these people all just genuinely loved him you know what i mean it wasn't like uh something you'd see on comedy central uh 10 years ago or whatever yeah he he was an amazing guy really it's what a loss but what a legacy to leave behind i mean just an incredible incredible uh legacy to uh, not just professional not just with amazing work but amazing just so many people loved him so mm-hmm. you know for you know absolutely uh, and then and then sort of the last thing, I just want to make sure, uh, not that this is going to be a great point of conversation, but I'm assuming we all we all have not seen Dr. Strange 2 yet. I have not. Okay. No, no, no yeah. Tomorrow. <laughs> good, good. Uh, I, I did see it yesterday. I, the only thing I will say, spoiler free, is when it leans hard into Sam Raimi, it is a good movie. When it leans hard into MCU, less so. And that's that's it that's my spoiler free review <laughs> oh man uh so but this is actually the, the the normal first question that we ask our first time guests uh what are some of the first comics that each of you remembers reading john why don't you go first um i mean in the uk i i kind of grew up reading the beano which is kind of it was a, a weekly um kind of comic for kids really like mm-hmm. cartoon and I had a subscription for that from well from before I was born because I got two older brothers and it kind of got passed down to me so um I was reading that kind of weekly um since like <laughs> before I could remember really but then um it was uh kind of 2018 really that um started me off on on comics I can remember going into um this W. Smith it's our, our kind of like news agent here and seeing 2008 for the first time and I must have been about eight or nine I think and just being confused and blown away by the weirdness and the rawness of it all mm-hmm. and um, that's kind of had a long-lasting impact on me um, and it just kind of went from there really I can remember in, in the 90s kind of being really into Spawn with everybody else and kind of when um, like Image kicked off like all of that but um yeah like growing up it was it was really 2008 that was the the one um that that turned me on to comics being something um that uh was different to my um original perceptions of them the green light the green lights on uh yeah i i had a similar experience in terms of um uh finding comics twice i think you know i found it the first time growing up as a, a young kid and 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 just finding stuff that I was watching on Saturday morning cartoons. So, you know, just finding G.I. Joe or Transformers or X-Men or Wolverine and, you know, Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, just the just very. Uh, and then I found um, Spawn and the Max when those came out in the 90s. And that really uh, I was like excited by that because they were something different, you know, and they were something um, not that wasn't on tv also so it was oh this is its own thing that's that is cool um but i didn't really find creator-owned comics until after kind of college uh when i kind of started to come back to comics and started to read brian k vaughn 
and uh, Garth Enos and um, uh, all lots of the the stuff that was going on in the early 2000s and and um, Vertigo and Wildstorm stuff. And yeah, just made an impact on me that they were very um, imaginative and daring and, and oh, you know, not even capes and and um, they were just uh, I really liked the creator owned original stories. And I, it kind of blew my mind that this is what comics can be. And I think I, that was, that was what hooked me in terms of, um, you know, um, first becoming a, a, an avid reader from then on uh, of modern comics, but then also wanting to do it one day. I can, yeah, that, that's something to me as well. I think um, I can remember my mom used to take me to the library when I was a kid and I used to just kind of in the comic section, like looking at everything. And I can remember seeing um, things like Preacher and it just being like, what is this? Like, um, <laughs> and it just like completely changing my, my outlook. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic that that kind of slow um, integration into the reality of what comics are rather than what, what you kind of see them as, as a, an outsider, I suppose. I, I like that idea of the library uh, especially because in the U.S. we've been ugh, people have been making a big stink about what is and isn't in libraries. So I appreciate that you, uh, as a young man, uh, were first exposed to a comic that featured a character with an asshole for a face in your local <laughs> library. That is wonderful. <laughs> yeah, look, looking back, if my mum knew what, what I was reading sat in the corner, then like she'd, she'd have a heart attack probably. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, guys, libraries are great. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we are here to talk about uh, Mindset, which is your uh, new Vault series set to debut June 29th. FOC is June 6th. So if you want to pre-order FO it. Here. FOC oh. is actually uh, uh, May 29th, actually. We, we uh, just got some clarity on that one. So I'll, I'll make sure everyone knows that. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. We just, yes. There's, uh, yeah. You know, comics, comics, everything is always getting updated and changed constantly. So uh, the FOC is May 29th. May 29th. Uh, nice to see it moving in the earlier direction uh, for a change. But uh, the point is, if you want to pre-order it from your local comic shop, uh, you know, please go ahead and do so. Uh, Matt, would you like to read the solicit blurb for the listener? When an introverted tech geek accidentally discovers mind control, he and his friends do something unexpected. They put the science into an app to help users break their technology addiction. But as their mindset app achieves a dangerous cult following, lies, conspiracies, and murder comes to light. Are they helping people or controlling them? So uh, what is the origin of this project? Uh, I guess that would be uh, my, my brain uh, <laughs> in terms of, um, yeah, I... I think over the years, I've, I kind of noticed that uh, technology is slowly changing and changing the, the way we interact with it and um, feels very controlling and manipulative. And uh, somehow I, I between this and my love of a good uh, a good kind of thriller and a good uh, business startup and a fascination of all these things, it, it all percolated to come out into this idea of what if what if you discovered mind control but what if uh, all the normal kind of ideas that we have about uh, uh, someone discovering mind control is they're going to kind of use it in the outside world to you know directly impact people but what if 
people were using mind control through technology to to um, achieve whatever they wanted to do and, and in the form of an app. And that kind of made it feel very modern. Uh, and um, yeah, I, I, you know, this idea, been playing with it for for years and, and percolating it. And uh, I knew that it really needed the um, really a, a, a very specific and interesting kind of art style to really bring it because it's a lot of, there's a lot of layers to this, um, this idea and, and a lot of layers to the themes that I wanted to explore. And I had been turned on to John's work um, first in, in his coloring work in blue and green um, with, with Ram and Anand and uh, just gorgeous, breathtaking stuff. And then I, I was really excited to see that he's an artist as well. And he had this, um, he had not only done some short comics, but just, you know, um, so many just, just amazing pieces and, and murals and all it just really uh, came from this really um, provocative visual arts background that I thought, oh, this is ex this is a, an exciting uh, opportunity and re reached out and, you know, he was excited about it. And um, we, we began our journey uh, <laughs> into mindset. Excellent. And uh, how did it find it? How did Vault end up being uh, its home? Um, I had been talking to, to, to Vault uh, for years. I first saw Vault at 2016 when uh, I was bringing my first comic clips and they were setting up their table in small press for the first time. And they immediately stood out to me. Uh, I immediately um, um, got to know Adrian and Damien and, and the whole group there, um, Tim and Nathan, and, and kept in touch with them for years and kept talking about I was busy and they were busy, but we wanted to do something and, uh, you know, it was really about finding the right timing and the right opportunity. And so um, Vault to me is really a special publisher because they've they really like to take chances and, and be daring, I think, with what they like to do. A lot of people have compared them to, to Vertigo um, in, in a lot of ways. And, and um, so we thought this was really just a, a great project to set up with them and bring bring their way. And they immediately got the vision for it and uh, came on board full theme and uh it's just been a fantastic uh collaboration and you know we're all really excited about it's it it's been really refreshing Revolt. um just they're not just kind of behind the book they're really enthused by it and it's it's nice whenever i'm meeting with them and they're getting excited by it and it's just this, this infectious enthusiasm we're like wow you really like this so it's um, <laughs> So that yeah, they're, they're, they've been uh, they've been great so far, and they're they're kind of really trying to push push it because they really believe in it. So it's uh, yeah, it's it's it's, it's great. ideal. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is wonderful to hear. Now, uh, did you end up doing a lot of uh, sort of big tech research for this, or, or you know, is the headline stuff pretty much already out there, and you had the idea no matter what? You know what? It's interesting. I did initially do a lot of research and, and you know, um, I mean, there's a lot of scary things that that are going on in technology and not just in our data being, um, you know, stored and harvested and used. And we've all, all had the experience where you're talking to someone about needing a new mattress. And then next thing you know, uh, your Instagram is like, hey, check out this mattress. And you're like, that's weird i didn't type mattress you know like are they listening so you know then there's the you know all the notifications we i mean i don't know if people have heard this stuff but you know like there some social media companies are have psychologists studying 
just how to get uh, the right sound, the right notification to get you engaged longer. You know, they're telling you how long you're using your phone, um, but they want that number up, you know, they, and, and each platform wants that number up. So, you know, I, I started to go deep dive into all of the, the what's going on, but actually for this story, it, it's um, the allegory of using mind control. Um, you don't need to know all of that because it's almost, it, it's, and I think that's something that's really been so fun and fascinating as we started to share the idea with um, readers in the comic community and talk about what's coming. We all know we're being manipulated by technology. So it's not this big surprise where you go like, okay, everybody, this is a thriller and it's about mind control, but the mind controls in an app and people are like, yeah, right. So it's what's happening now. Like we all know it. And yet, uh, so I think everyone's really, it's kind of what's going on with our phones and our, our social media platforms. It's all kind of common knowledge. And um, I mean, there's so many layers, the layer of how we influence each other. So it's not just how long we use the devices, but then our interpersonal relationships, our relationships are how we define ourselves in society based on looking at other people's feeds and those things influencing us. So, yeah, I think that there was a lot of exploration of it. But at the end of the day, it was not my goal to make the the actual comic um overburdened with any of that and just kind of let the reader kind of experience what they already know is going on in a more abstract way, I think. Uh, I'll tell you, I, I had that same sort of the mattress experience very recently. Uh, I was recording another podcast and I had mentioned that I had a high school te history teacher with the same name as the artist on the comic that we were talking about. Uh, it, very common name. And the next day, the very next day, uh, that teacher shows up in my suggested friends on Facebook <laughs> and, you know, nothing against that teacher. You know, I don't have like fond, like dead poet society memories of him. I didn't I have a bad experience with him, but it was like, I did, I did not care much for that. <laughs> yeah. They, the, the, the phone uh, heard you. And, and uh, I mean, I, I don't know what other uh, explanation there is for some of those experiences or encounters. And then, you know, the algorithmic tracking of you're going to like, you know, you see some toddler dribbling basketball in a really interesting way and you watch that video till completion. And next thing you know, there's your, your feed is full of 30 uh, toddlers dribbling basketballs just because you watched <laughs> that video to completion. So uh, yeah, the, 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 they're, they're, they're there watching us and, you know, it's a real level of manipulation and it's all happened really overnight. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. we did not have this 10 years ago. So I think the speed at which our behavior is changing with our phones. I mean, I ask uh, a lot of times, like who here is going to bed, uh, doom scroll, you know, on your phone the, is the, it, it, the, I feel most people, the last thing you do is scroll on your phone before you go to bed. Maybe you even say goodnight to your loved one and then you scroll a little more. So it's just really, uh, but we didn't do that 10 years ago. So, cause we didn't have iPhones that were constantly connected and didn't have this level of feed. So yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Someone should write a comic about all that. <laughs> I've made a, I've made a conscious effort. I now sleep. I got an actual alarm clock like an old school alarm clock and I, yep. And I leave my phone down Somewhere. on the first floor in the living room 
so I don't have it by my bedside because it was doom scroll central. Yes. So it's like, okay, got to do that, which is kind of a pain because there are people that I want to say good night to right before bed. But now it's like, okay, no, I say good night to them. And then I go upstairs and I read for half an hour and then I roll over and go to sleep. How, how is it? I mean, I've done that too. And then failed and how fascinating that we are actually like, Oh, put that technology in the other room. Cause it's going to get you at bedtime. Okay. Like you better hide from like, Oh, what? Like, I mean, it's like weird. It's like a candle or something like, don't let it burn out by the curtains, like put it in the sink. So you don't catch on fire. Like mm-hmm. don't put that thing near you. That's crazy oh. but we like but you can look at it all during the day just just make I, sure you- i used to do that i did the whole thing where i was like oh maybe i need to get a, a proper alarm and like obsessed with how much is on my phone but i've gone either way now and just accept it i'm just like yeah i'm on my phone it's part of my life and like part of part of it is i have to be on my phone to do like elements of work and um if i catch myself doom scrolling or anything like that then i'm just like oh but stop doing this soon. And then that's it. I don't like, I used to be really hard on myself, but now I'm just, I, I'm solely accepting that um, it's an, a huge element of my life now. And, I think that's, uh, yeah, it's yeah. inevitable, right? That's one of the fun things we tried to explore too in, in the comic is the the uh, idea of like good intentions and how they kind of like, you can try to like, you can try to fight it. You can try to have good intentions, but there's something pervasively manipulative about technology in general that you know even coming in with the best best you know the best intentions it's it's um it's a game of influence and a game of controlling people yeah i mean i I think that's why the the internet is just so overrun with memes and parody and making fun of things because everybody's aware that we exist in this obsessive world that we can't escape from so uh, um, you've got to kind of make like that situation or fall into a pit of despair, I guess. <laughs> or both. Or both. Or both. <laughs> or both. <laughs> but, you know, crazy that, that to avoid disrupting our sleep patterns and to preserve our, our mental health, we have to go back to this, you know, in Matt's case, this retroactive technology that, you know, we men of a certain age grew up dreading the sound of that like alarm clock going off at like six 30 in the morning to get you ready for the school for school. That's that sort of, you know, the sound of, of, of Janet Lee getting stabbed in the shower and psycho. Yeah. Yeah. Now you need that. Yeah. (laughs) It it wakes you up. I, I think my wife keeps her phone by the, her side of the bed and she can snooze over and over with those, you know, lovely little twinkly sounds the phone wakes makes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but in all fairness, she sleeps through my alarm because she sleeps as the dead. But <laughs> I, on the other hand, the minute the thing goes off, I was like, well, I'm awake now. <laughs> I'm to start the day. I, I, I'm thinking about it, actually. I actually go to sleep specifically listening to um, YouTube. Like, I'd listen to, like, Tibetan healing bowls to help me sleep. And I do it quite a lot because I struggle to sleep. But... Um, yeah, so it's like, in some ways, I wouldn't be able to sleep without my phone being near me now. Um, and they could be putting all sorts of hidden messages in that stuff that's playing. Subliminal through. messages. You don't know what comes on 33 minutes yeah. into that I, thing. I shouldn't I should have told you what I listen to now. You'll be like putting it on YouTube, just like, no, I mean, faster. It, <laughs> it, 
Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a crazy relationship we have with with technology these days, and and um yeah, and and uh, you know it's so funny. We the mind the parallel of mind control with our devices. It's just so obviously there, um, but I haven't seen um a lot of um I mean. And I kind of when I come up with a story, it's something that I'm interested in. And I kind of take a look around and see if I see if I can find something like that. And if I can't, then that's something I want to I want to make. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, I like I'm a science fiction writer. You know, I, I think most of my stories are, are science fiction. And I like to really play with lots of different subgenres and, and look at different devices. I've done aliens and I've done robots. And, you know, this was like, OK, mind control. What is it about mind control that's interesting these days? And I, I think what's interesting is that we are actually all being controlled right now by our devices. Like our minds are actually being subtly programmed. I mean, if you go back to the fifth, 1950s, it was, you know, like mad men and advertising where they were studying us to try to like, but that was like in a picture in a magazine or like a, a, a quick 30 second commercial where they were trying to get you to buy something now the amount of attention that they have from us and the control, it's just, it's just, uh, it is mind blowing and we're all aware of it and we've all accepted it. And, and so it's just very interesting to explore the, this very over the top concept of mind control, uh, you know, Ooh, and then like, it's actually happening and it's real. It's crazy. We're what? Six months from midterm elections, the the talk of election influence is only going to get louder in the course of the next six months when it comes to psyops and et cetera. Yeah, I mean, I think beyond how it's affected, I, you know, I, I, I try to stay uh, the whole political uh, landscape has just driven me completely nuts. And so I, I uh, like a like a it's a field of landmines. I'll just blow up if I start talking about any of that but i think in you know it's it affects our politics it affects our our social lives our romantic lives it affects everything in a very in a very um toxic way so it's uh it's it, and and we're all aware of it and we all know what's coming you know when and how um social media and platforms affect our technology our and technology affect our elections affect our political discourse but uh, there's no stopping it. So yeah, it's crazy. So what is it like to release this book as Elon Musk takes over Twitter? Uh, are we the first, you know, to ask you about that at this point? Or are you expecting more questions about guess big tech and venture capital and Lex Luthor? <laughs> John, what do you, th- I haven't, I answered that this once before it, we got asked this once before. Do, what do you think about all this, uh, John, if you uh Elon Musk and Twitter, yeah. Um, well, I mean, no, I mean, I guess it, uh, the fact that we are releasing this. Oh, what well, like like are the context of like here we are releasing this this um. Well, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's releasing at the perfect time because it's <laughs> like it as we've been talking about is something that we're all aware of and something that we constantly question, but we accept and we accept more and more so um the us releasing mindset at this point in time is there couldn't be any better time because we're aiming to do something where um we want people to reflect a little bit more and to question their own interactions a little bit more and 
the world around them. So things like Elon Musk buying Twitter, is it going to make a difference at the end of the day? Not really. Like it's still kind of a bizarre, toxic, like, but also beautiful place. But um, it's not about that. It's about ourselves as individuals and our interactions with that. And um, I think that's that's the thing that it boils down to. And that's the thing that, that for me, like I, I hope the um, mindset addresses that and gets you to think a little bit more about how you interact with these platforms. Um, because that's, that's the only thing that's going to change at the end of the day is our own individual interactions rather than anything um, sweeping reform overnight because somebody tweeted one thing. That's just insanity. Yeah, completely agree. I think that the, I think that, you know, Elon Musk buying Twitter and what that might lead to, it might exacerbate a lot, a lot more problems. But at the end of the day, this was all pertinent and, and relevant before. It just continues to become more pervasively important to ask ourselves, how are we engaging in, in social media and technology? And I, I think in the same way that, you know, Matt is asking himself, how, do I, how do I go to sleep at night and how, what's my relationship with my phone? I think that we, that's kind of the, the point, you know, um, you have to kind of stop and ask yourself, what is my relationship with social media and how I view others and how I try to influence others and, and how I engage with my technology mm-hmm. and you have to make conscious choices about it. And, and, and maybe mindset is not offering any sort of answers to that as much as, just saying, Hey, be aware of it and perhaps make people pause. So never a better time to do it than now. Yeah. There's, there's no right or wrong way to engage with this stuff. And there's no kind of real answer other than the individual response. So it's like we're saying between the four of us, we all have our own very unique um, current perceptions of how we interact with technology so we've got one of us where they can't go to sleep without putting the phone in another room and then me who i have to have it next to me playing me lullabies it's it's two ends of the spectrum so um and there's they're both relatively positive interactions with technology so um yeah, that's that's kind of the the gray area that I think we're trying to explore, and like this idea that there's dualities with with our interactions, that there's um, there's no there's no kind of right or wrong, and I think the issue, especially with Twitter, is there is only right or wrong on Twitter. There's no gray area. Yeah, you either heart something or you you like it or you don't like it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. what uh what was your relationship with with tech growing up you know i think about sort of being of that generation where like your parents were stockpiling aol sample discs that came in the mail and we're at like the checkout and you know you're on all like the mp3 file sharing sites and you know maybe you had a doom land party once uh you were sad about like when this pets.com sock puppet went away, like that, that point in time. I, I was all of that. Um, I was a huge geek and nerd growing up and loved computers and loved all new technology. I think I built my own computer in high school because I wanted it to be a good gaming system. And, you know, so I wanted to get extra Ram in there and I went to computer shop store, um, computer conventions to, to learn about that stuff and coding. I was just into all of that. And, you know, the first chat rooms of when the America online came on, although there was nobody, everyone was just, you know, 
there was nothing actually go, talking about, but you, but it was just a fascinating um, experience. So I was always into all of that. And I think, um, you know, I've written about this. I think that's one of the interesting things um, because technology was not a dangerous thing uh, back then. There was, it was a marvelous thing. You, I mean, you weren't, I mean, I guess like it, when America Online came on, maybe there were some people going into the chat rooms doing things they shouldn't do. So uh, there's that, there's some facets of it, but I feel like your relationship with your device or your relationship with the computer engaging with people, it was a, it was a good thing. It was bringing you into the future. It was bringing the world closer together. I don't have any perception um, in my adolescence or early adulthood uh, when we got emails and suddenly we were able to, to, to email each other when we were like, there was no danger to, to having an email. There was no danger to, oh, this is a website and you can go visit a website and you can look at people's photos or this or that. It, it was all very innocent, I think, and very marvelous and uh it only seems to have gotten dangerous and have this this dark side to it in the past uh decade or so uh in a real way in a real way that we literally have to put our phones in the other room to behave themselves so um yeah i, I don't know it's uh I, I, but i i grew up loving technology and loving computers yeah i i, I mean i i grew up not really having technology being a major part of my life, to be honest. Um, it wasn't until I was probably about 20, I think, that it, it kind of became like a defining factor of, of my existence. But up until that point, um, I can remember my parents getting kind of our first computer and kind of dial up and the horrible noise and all that stuff. And like, just when I was younger, just having to phone my friends or just go around and knock on people's doors and see if they're in, mm -hmm. which is like, I'll try and tell that to um, like students that I'll teach now. And they'll just like, what are you on about? Like, <laughs> like that's, that's not a thing. Um, but yeah, I think it was, um, it was when I was like, I think it was like 1920 and I can remember I went to uh, the US for the first time and I was backpacking around and most of that was done through chatting to people online and finding places to crash or like seeing bands that were on tour and just asking them if I can jump in a van and all of that and that it wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for um, the internet back then mm -hmm. and I think the things that I did back then as well through the internet there's no way I'd do that now because it's changed in that short space of time like zach was saying from something that had um not necessarily a, an innocence to it but maybe a naivety um mm -hmm. to now where it's kind of the other end of the spectrum where you expect um kind of weird negative stuff online <laughs> like, yeah. and then it's it's it's, a, it's a, almost a surprise when you have something that is um uh innocent and well-meaning <laughs> so yeah, I, it, it was, it, I think it's good though. I think um, for people like my age or our age is um, that we've we've got the best of both worlds where we, we understand very well the pre-internet age and now um, we understand very well the situation we're in at the minute. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a contrast that um, a lot of people kind of growing up now, they, they just, it's alien to them, which I find really strange. But, um, yeah. but yes, which, which I think that makes the kind of the ideas that we want to explore in this book even more pertinent because um, our perspective 
is um, informed in a different way, I suppose. And yeah. we have we have that that kind of different insight into into the, how um, how we use technology. Yeah, it's in, it's interesting you bring up the generational aspect because you think about the main character in in mindset, uh, Ben. Um, when I was exploring his story, um, you know, I really had to think about, you know, what is it like uh, for a, a 25 year old with technology and what, what is their, how has their experience been and how do they, because Ben talks a lot about his relationship with technology and, um, you know, our goal was really to make him more than, than just a, a, a typical character. And a, I mean, he is very typical and very, um, um, he's very like could be anyone in a lot of ways, but I think that I also tried to write a deep dive into his kind of psychology and his childhood and his upbringing. So we can really understand him. And that took about, you know, I had to think about what was his relationship with technology. And so he is a kid that grew up with social media in its early days and, you know, um, his family, um, starting to put photos on Facebook and share things, you know, um, like that and, and starting to get caught up in that, that rat race of, of being the perfect family. And, 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 um, you know, when that was just starting to happen early on and we weren't, we had the naivete about how we were influencing each other with social media, but we were engaging in it. And, um, it's very interesting to think about, you know, someone who is coming up in this world now as a young person who, who perhaps doesn't have the, the perspective of pre-connected, pre the concept that, you know, like you are not always connected. I mean, you, you know, it's, it, it affects our work lives. It affects our ability to communicate. I mean, you can text anyone from your phone and you know that they get it, you know, uh, you know, back in the day, I mean, I remember the joke of like, well, did they get the text or did they not get the text? And people would, get the text and then say, oh, I didn't get the text. But now, you know, we know all if someone says I didn't get your text, you don't believe that because the technology is keeps us, you know, all connected and uh, you trust the technology uh, to just engage at all times. So it's if you don't, it's interesting to think about like someone growing up and always thinking um, that that we're always connected. My children, I've, I have two young kids and the, their relationship with screens and their relationships with texting. It's just, they're viewing the world. We're always connected. You know, it's just very uh, fascinating how it, how it affects your, uh, our psychology in different ways. How are you, you mentioned your kids, you know, how are you with mitigating their uh, how often or frequently they interact with technology? And, you know, do you find yourself uh, using the phrase like screen time uh, in an yeah, amount? I do. I have young, two young kids and we do try to, to, to manage their screen time. And, and uh, you know, uh, what's coming is I'm sure trying to manage how they where they go on the Internet and, and all that stuff, which I'm not sure how one uh, I'll have to figure that out when we get there. <laughs> how you do, how you, how you parent in today's uh, uh, world with the internet. Um, but I mean, yeah, we, we definitely manage screen time. I mean, it's some parts are beautiful. I mean, it's beautiful that my daughter can, can text her grandmother at any time, you know, and they can always be connected and they can FaceTime across the country under a pandemic. That's beautiful. And uh, it's really special. And so yeah, this is, there are wonderful things about technology that bring us together in ways that, you know, we can be close to our loved ones. It's really about just the conscious choice and, and, and 
understanding and, and having expectations about what is possible and, you know, um, knowing when that maybe you aren't getting a healthy bedtime and you want to put this uh, phone in the other room or not, but, you know, or you need it to fall asleep because it, you, your mind has been racing with other things. I think it's just about the, the being aware, you know, I think that's a layer that we, we really try to explore in mindset is um, awareness to one's surrounding and awareness to how technology is affecting us. Um, we did get a, uh, a Twitter question. Uh, one of our regular Twitter inquisitors, uh, Asma Fangirl, asked, what apps do you find more useful uh, and I guess less harmful uh, in, your, in your everyday lives? Did I useful is pretty subjective. <laughs> uh, Fair. So I, I mean, like um, anything that I'll use for work. So things like Slack or um, just anything where it's like communicating with people, especially when I'm in a different country to um, to most of the people that I work with. So so anything like that is is fantastic. Um, so anything that will. Um, help streamline communication basically um and streamline communication with a purpose i think actually because um things like um instagram twitter facebook while they're integral to um my day-to-day existence from a work perspective they they're also the ones that will just sap my time and i'll just sink hours into nothing um so uh yeah, it's 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 a it's a constantly changing um, environment. So, I mean, I imagine over the next month or two there'll be another app that will pop up, and I'll be like, "Oh, this is perfect to help me manage my time." But um, yeah, it's it's an evolving thing. But yeah, anything that's that's helping with productivity. Yeah, I agree with that. And I would add, in addition to Slack, or I use Monday. I like Monday.com. But in addition to um, the productivity or the communication stuff. I mean, Spotify, you know, uh, um, the general concept of having a music platform that has thousands and thousands, I don't know if it's millions or lots of songs just at your, <laughs> at your fingertips. I mean, that's, that's pretty cool. I have yet to uh, unravel the truly dark, dark side of, of that. That seems pretty, pretty nice to be able to listen to music. I'm sure that there's some other opinions about why there's, there's bad parts of that, but I like the idea of being able to, listen to music from all from everywhere. Uh, and I think, um, you know, f- look, the pandemic, uh, really, uh, did a number on the world, but, um, um, zoom and FaceTime and just these general ability to try to reconnect from the privacy of our own home when we are, uh, locked down or unable to get out and be able to, to create, you know, as a creator, being able to connect with John or, or, um, you know, the, the team from vault or any of my books and be able to connect with people all around the world from Brazil to Asia to Europe and, and engage. I think that's pretty special. You know, here you have two people that want to connect in a positive way and here's technology giving them the chance to do it. So, um, yeah. And I mean, obviously we've always had, you know, basics like word processing or, you know, I'm sure John uses all sorts of, uh, amazing visual, uh, programs that keep getting better and better from, you know, Photoshop and stuff. So, yeah, there's lots of positive things, uh, positive apps that that we we use for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, from an artistic point of view, like technology has completely changed the, the kind of creative landscape for everybody, um, and that in a good in a good way, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
and it's, there's lots of facets to it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's positive. Um, I think it's, it's made um, creativity a lot more accessible to a lot more people and um, it's just made it a lot easier. Um, I think there's definitely limitations that come with it and there's, there's definitely problems to it, but I think the, the good outweighs the bad. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you know, look at um what some of the apps like, uh, well, is Kickstarter an app? I don't know if Kickstarter is an app. The platform, more a platform than an app, app but, but it's more. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, hey, like uh, a bunch of old want... men. We. <laughs> Kickstarter. Uh, look, you know, you like people ask me like, what I want to get into comics. What should I do? Right? You know, and I feel like ten years ago that was completely different. It was like, well, work on your portfolio and maybe uh, go to conventions and try to show people your work. Uh, maybe try to find someone that'll publish your small comic or maybe you have to go print it yourself. But now web comics, crowdfunding, uh, social media, you can become a creator, you know, find someone, find good collaborators and make stuff that's cool and just share it and find Kickstarters that will help you, you know, get a, a, a following. And obviously these things are all a lot of work, but they're tools that weren't there before. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think crowdfunding has has completely changed um, how how people can reach an audience through comics, and um, it's fantastic. So you, you can rather than going out uh, to a convention and just being completely unknown, and then hoping somebody comes by and takes a, a, a chance on your comic, you you can know you'll you'll reach X amount of people and print that many comics, and it's win win. It's it's it reduces the risk. Like yeah. astronomically. Yeah, agreed. So, so John, I was curious how uh, working on this series uh, has, you know, uh, challenged you, or, or you know, some maybe some maybe some new things that you were trying for the first time with this series. I did notice you're doing a lot of double page spreads. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm laughing because, like, me and Zach spoke about this for um, future issues of just like, man, there's a lot of little page spreads in this. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think for for mindset, um, it's it's just a, a kind of continuation of something that I'm always like wanting to reach for with comics is. Um, having a, a kind of divergent approach and having something that is fluid in the style that will suit the story beats and suit the emotional tone of, of the narrative. So um, with, with mindset, it's, I mean, it's essentially a lot of people standing around talking about their apps, like not, but in a, in a, in a great way, but um, there's, um, uh, it could be um, very different if I was just illustrating it um, I suppose straight, but I think like what I'm, I'm aiming to do is have the the artwork um, push the narrative and almost have a secondary um, element of subtext to what's going on in the story through the visuals and um, kind of have this push push and pull where um, what you're seeing through the visuals is enhancing the narrative, but at times it's going against it, and um, it to be its own kind of visual language, I suppose. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure working with, with Zach on this because Zach from the start has been really keen to push those elements as well. And, um, 
it's uh yeah it's 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 just been fantastic exploring these characters and exploring these interactions and these um emotional nuances through the way the art is done i think to also to add uh you know double page spreads or even double page um layouts that have multiple panels they give the the reader more control because if you're going page by page and the panels are very strict the, 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 the page is telling the reader which way to go. When you opened up to a double page spread and you are presented with maybe one large image and maybe some, some smaller panels, even though there is a right way to read through the panels and through the moment, you are given this broader spectrum that you get to kind of experience all at once and then decide where your eye goes. That gives the reader more control. And from the onset, from a, a visual almost mission statement our goal was really to create an experience for the readers and this is a story told from a subjective point of view from a, a, a character who is narrating to us what happened and so while we're taking this journey with him and we're taking this really uh we don't know everything that's happened we only know what this character is telling us from his perspective and so we really wanted this to be about we wanted the reader to feel like they're going through this journey and really unlocking everything and really kind of absorbing everything so i think that the the layouts we constantly tried to talk we we collaborated a tremendous amount to you know ask ourselves at every question and so i would bring layout ideas from a script standpoint, John would weigh in with additional ideas. We constantly built on each other's ideas just to ultimately get to a final version that gave readers that opportunity. So, um, you know, it's funny that, you know, I lean on double page spreads a, a good chunk in the scripting form. And I think John has been great about finding the right times to, you know, depart from that and the right time to lean into it and, and which moments. And we, I talk even, I mean, I've said this before, even some of the issues that are coming up, you know, I'll come in and I'll say, okay, so here's the sequence and here's what's going to happen. You know, Ben and the guys, they're doing this and okay, where do you think, is this a double page here? Is this a, is this a splash page? Is this a lot of panels? What do you think? And to really, before I even come at it to kind of have a conversation about it, to, to what's going to maximize the emotionality of the scene, what's going to maximize the, um, the themes and, and give the readers the best experience. I, I think that's, that's, that's probably my favorite thing about this is a collaborative process between me and Zach is, um, it's not just I get the script and I just like go away and draw it. It's like we'll chat about it from the first draft of the script for an issue, and then there'll be revisions, and I'll do layouts and we'll chat about them, and they'll change based on the script and vice versa. And it's just this fantastic collaboration where um we we know both of us, we have this vision of what we want to achieve. And part of that is um our are kind of quite clear view of what we want, but also I think a significant part of that is letting the story become its own um, thing and letting it uh, almost be alive. So there's um, when we when we talk about the experience that we want the readers to have, that's something that we're we're having as we're making it as well. Um, we know the direction it's going in, but these these pages are coming alive and they're um, kind of. Uh, there's there's this 
I don't know. There's there's almost a a a um, this this when we were talking about earlier, like this gray area that doesn't exist online. That's kind of what we're intentionally creating this subjectivity mm-hmm. and these layers and layers of nuance where you can go back and read it again and again. And there's different things that you'll see, or there's different perceptions or different perspectives that you'll take away. And um, that would never be possible if it wasn't for the collaborative process that we have together. Yeah. And, and, and we've been able to carry that through with uh, Hassan, who's our letterer, who's already a brilliant uh, rising. I don't know if he's a rising. He's such a, he does he's so risen. many amazing projects. We were, <laughs> yeah, yeah he's, he's just, he's, he's just a great, he's just like one of the best, one of the best letters out there. And we were so, I had worked with him once before. We were so excited that he came on board. He immediately brought these incredible ideas that just built off of everything that we were doing. And, um, and yeah, same with uh, Tim Daniel, our incredible designer who, um, you know, came up with a fantastic logo for the book. I mean, at, at every point, John and I have been come, come in like, like, um, like drunk bulls, just like, here's our vision and here's everything <laughs> we, we want to achieve. And, uh, and like, we really want people to our, our collaborators and they have just to like help us build this in a very, you know, what do you like? We're just hoping to try to use the medium and every aspect of it as much as we possibly can not leave anything, uh, put everything on the field in terms of, of, of finding ways to enhance this experience. I mean, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a, it's a thought provoking book. It's an emotional book. It's a, it's a thriller. I mean, this, there's a whole other facet that there's also like a, a whodunit component to it um, with this murder and who's in control and all this, all these kinds of fun suspense aspects of it. So there's just so many layers to the book. And uh, it, from the very get go, we were just excited to come in and kind of say, okay, what is, what is the, what is the most creative, interesting way to uh, achieve, achieve these ideas? Uh, you, you mentioned Haas, and I'm glad you did, because uh, there's, you know, besides the uh, the double page layouts, another thing that, that stood out to me right away is that, you know, you're not working with uh, traditional word balloons. They're, they're, you know, they're more like these um, yeah. squiggle edged blocks with with tails that actually look like the strings of, of balloons. And I was curious, you know, uh, how much that was something that was born of a conversation between uh, y'all and Haas or, 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 you know, one day he, they just kind of showed up in the lettering pass, like, ta-da. <laughs> so Haas, Haas is great. Uh, um, again, having this um, creative dialogue with us. So, so he, he tested loads of different ideas when we were kind of at the pitching stage, but the, the beautiful thing about Haas is he's got a, um, same outlook as both me and Zach. He wants to do something that is trying to push the medium and um, also his lettering approach is something that he wants to be very sympathetic with the artwork and to enhance it as well. So um, the the lettering, again, has its own nuances to the overall visual storytelling. And um, he's just an absolute pleasure to work with because he, he gets what I'm trying to do with the artwork and he doesn't, just come in and just like here's your lettering uh it's like he'll he'll do things that are just um taking taking the art and then just yeah just elevating it so there's the stuff in the um the kind of mind control like zaps um that he went back and he kind of like added in like different 
layers of lettering to it, um, which you might not really see when you you kind of read it because it, it's just part of the artwork. So he, um, yeah, he's he's fantastic for just doing something that is truly in line with with what we're trying to do. Yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> uh, Zach, one thing I was uh, curious about is you know right now this isn't. You know, in addition to to mindset coming out, you've also uh, you just launched Metal Society at Image. You've got Breakout out at Dark Horse right now. Uh, you know, if I've learned nothing from the past two, well, we've all learned a lot of things the past two years. But you know, a thing coming out has almost nothing to do with with when it was made <laughs> anymore. So I was kind of curious, like, what the timeline is for you making all these books, you know, whether you're, you know, writing scripts all at once or, you know, breakouts been done for like two years and it's just finally coming, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'll, I think um, interesting enough, I think all of these ideas are ideas I've had for years. I'm not, I, I think I figured it out once and now I've forgotten which one was the oldest idea, but I'm, um, they're all many years old, but what happens for me in terms of like an ideas, ideas get written down and put into a, a folder as, you know, ideas. And then I come back to them and then I, you know, you know, this and that. So uh, mindset wasn't, I didn't feel mindset was ready until um, I think it was 2020. Um, I can't 2021. I can't remember. Um when uh when i reached out to you john was it was it fall of 2020 or 20 i can't remember i've lost all have, track of it would have been uh um, when did 20, blue and green come out that God, <laughs> uh end of 2020 20 i think yeah, i, I think, think it was, it was around, around 2020 that i kind of mindset kind of started to to more fully form uh and i started to go okay uh yeah uh, this one's ready. And I think uh, um, Breakout and Metal Society were also ideas that I've been playing with. Metal Society uh, um, really started to fully form early 2020 and um, and same kind of goes for Breakout. So they were all kind of ideas I've been playing with. And then, um, yeah, uh, I was all try trying to find the right collaborator, trying to flesh out the the, the, the story into a fully formed outline and, and, and then get into scripting. I try to... Um, write a full outline uh for each story you know on its own and then i'll try to write a script an issue script you know in its entirety i'm not trying to bounce between scripts or between outlines so i try to block out my my creative writing schedule by that sort of thing but it's become as much as i've heard some pros talk about um how they can write a whole mini series in one in one bat out and then move on to the next one or they write you know all five issues of something I, I i um have too many things that i'm trying to get going and so it just becomes in you know um more important to write an outline write a first issue let that begin and then write something and write another issue and then to to cycle through issue by issue i think it in terms of being able to juggle all that it just comes down to having a really good outline and a really good vision of what the story is that I, I want to tell. And I think that, that spending a lot of time with an idea and, um, you know, um, you know, um, really knowing it. Um, and so that when you finally go from that two or three page idea document 
to like outline the whole thing. Um, but you know, like it took me a long time to outline mindset. It's very complex. There's a lot of layers and a lot of, um, a lot of, um, a lot of moving parts. You know, I had to definitely get a little, um, a little Chinatown in terms of putting everything up on the board and, and, uh, you know, saying, okay, like what's the whole, like the emotionality and the, all this stuff. I mean, there's a whole fun thriller story that, that comes out of this that I think people, um, are only getting very tiny hints about in the first issue. Um, and then, uh, John, I want to know, uh, you know, what are, who are some of the artists that are, are kind of the people that you jam on personally? Uh, historically or contemporary or both? Either. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, there's kind of like the obvious ones like Dame Keen and Bill Zakarich and, um, but kind of a lot of those people that were um, churning out all those painterly comics in the kind of 80s of like Kent Williams, John J. Muth, uh, kind of Baron Story. Um, but I think at the minute there's there's so many people doing interesting things that when I kind of look around to uh people like Mindsense or uh people like Danny, um, all of these people are just doing interesting things with medium that um it's it's exciting to see where it's heading. Um I think there's there's more people taking risks at the minute and um kind of pushing things away from what you might consider standardized, but uh, it's exciting to see where things can go. It's like, how far can you push it? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and like I, I grew up, um, I, I come from a fine art background as well. So um, people like Francis Bacon and Robert Rauschenberg and um, all these kind of abstract expressionist painters, like I, I love all of that. Like the idea that um, emotions can be communicated through textures and movement of paint um that's something that i find fascinating and I, I i did a lot of kind of abstract painting um when i was younger and that, that's something that's always um infiltrated my approach to comics is how can you how can you um communicate something not through um what's drawn but through how something is drawn the ultimate question uh what are you gentlemen uh reading right now zach why don't you go first what am I reading right now? Uh, my read pile is always larger than I, uh, than I want it to be. Uh, I loved uh, The Good Asian uh, by my friend Pornsack. That's just uh, one of the best noir books uh, out there. Um, uh, I always love Rick Remender. Uh, I love everything Ram is doing. Um, he's just uh, on fire. Um, and I love Radio Apocalypse and... Uh, um, uh, I'm, I always I'm excited by his DC st um, stuff like um, Swamp Thing has been fantastic. Um, I, I'm excited about uh, Grimm, which is uh, my friend Stephanie Phillips, who I think that comes out uh, this, this week. week. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I read issue one of that. That's really something special. And um, this week, as we record yeah. last week, for those of you listening to it, it is yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> last week. our time. And didn't y'all like that in the future? Uh, wow. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of I mean, it's really hard to keep track. There's uh, a lot of great comics out there. And I, I, I pick up so much more that Texas blood is fantastic. Um, um, and uh, new burn is fantastic. Um, yeah, I, 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 I 
tend to lean towards the darker stuff. And I think as someone who's really in the creator owned space, I tend to try to read more creator owned just so I can kind of um, keep uh, what's going on. Homesick pilots has been a favor of mine. Um, that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of great stuff. I, I'm sure I'm forgetting dozens of, of stuff that I'm reading. That's great. John, what do you, I mean, like similar to what, what Zach said, kind of a lot of the kind of, contemporary go-tos at the minute there's just so much good stuff coming out but also things like um kind of the reckless series been absolutely oh, yeah. loving that yeah um, that's great i'm also astounded at how fast they pump out those books it's like <laughs> it feels like there's a new kind of graphic novel out every two months at the minute um but uh a lot of a lot of kind of indie stuff i've been really really into at the minute um i'm from bleeds in the uk and there's some fantastic creators around here so there's um Craig called Anna Redman, who's done a um, a book called uh, Hanabar Gumbo, and that's absolutely sensational kind of indie um, kind of bio comic. There's another creator called um, Jenna Sharp who does these like really weird Lynchian um, kind of sexually charged, also semi autobiographical comics that are terrifying and fantastic. Wow! And that's the stuff that I'm just loving at the minute. The um, these kind of like like down to earth very local very much um kind of personal experiences that are uh kind of just something i can connect to and something that astounds me the talent of them well uh gentlemen this has been a uh, fantastic time final question before we let you go uh how can people follow you both online keep up with mindset and and all the other projects that you uh may have going on right now Yeah, it is important to uh, engage with us online as much as possible and give us as much of your digital attention, uh, even though we spend an hour talking about the dangers of technology. Uh, (laughs) Give us our, give us, follow us and engage with us. We're different. Um, I'm on the good ones. Yeah, we're the good ones. Don't follow any of those bad ones, but we're the good ones. Uh, We'll sell you something completely uh you know shamelessly um uh i'm on uh twitter and instagram and facebook at zach caps and i have a website zachcaps.com and i've got a um substack newsletter techno babble and you guys can find me there yeah you can find me on whatever social media platform you may wish at john j pearson and uh yeah john j pearson.co.uk is my website but yeah reach out to me on social media and I will say hello. All right, John and Zach, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom. Chris is on Infinite Earths and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. Uh, P.S. Matt and Will, sorry I made you read White Knight again. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from ComicsXF, 
Liz Large from Comics XF, Will Nevin from Comics XF, and Asimov Fangirl, aka the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQA on Twitter at WMQ Comics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and Comics XF at Comics XF. And until next week, remember, the Forceworks character Century was apparently part of Combo Man. WMQA.